Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. has been a stressful start to the year. How are you doing? Ooh, full disclosure, I have been feeling pretty overwhelmed and struggling to keep up here. To help lighten my load, I've started working with a few editors. So this episode that you are about to hear was edited by Faith Tangara. I am so, so thankful for your support, both financial support to allow me to pay an editor for help, and all the kind messages and words of support. Thank you. And along those lines, I wanted to share a recent review from the amazing Candido Crespo. Thank you so much. So he says, As an art teacher, this podcast brings me comfort and joy. I can laugh and feel with every guest. Long review short, this is a must listen. Thank you so much, Candido. That means the world to me. Our featured artist this week is Jane Yuan. Jane Yuan received her MFA from San Francisco Art Institute in August 2020. She grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and majored in French at Cornell University. She specializes in art about Japanese and Chinese culture and myth. Her interests in language and literature come through in the themes and inspirations of her work. Jane hopes to teach art in the future to high school or college students, and she likes to make playful, illustrative drawings imitating Japanese prints. She says, I draw from Japanese mythology in my artwork and drawings. Recently, I have been inspired by the writer Ryunosuke Akutagawa. It is written that he adapts his stories to include the pre-modern into them. My objective is to similarly present both the modern and the ancient in my drawings, while bringing feminism and cultural identity to the forefront. My drawings tell myths. I change male characters and roles into females to show women holding power. In my work, there is also a suggestion of culture, identity, tradition, and religion. I'm trying to depict the Japanese cultural identity or Japanese aesthetic in my drawings. And I will be sharing some of her work this week, so go check it out. All right, on to this week's episode. So I spoke back in 2020 with Katie Bradford Osborne. Katie is the director and founder of Roaring Artist Gallery, and she is a homeschool mom and used to be a homeschool art teacher. Katie offered so much wonderful advice and such great tips for artists in this episode. I was totally taking notes to implement in my own art practice. It was so helpful to chat with a curator and gallerist who is just really giving and cares deeply about supporting artists. 
I also loved hearing about her own artwork and how she balances the more structured, planned out business side of her personality with the intuitive nature of her work. She talked about her sacred studio time and listening to the materials as they speak to her. Do you feel that? Katie Bradford Osborne is an artist, mother, creative brand consultant, teacher, curator, gallerist, and more than anything, a woman on a mission to empower other women. Before COVID-19 shut everything down, Katie was a homeschool art teacher in Houston, Texas, a job that started out with filling a niche and quickly became a passion. Although it could be argued that having to quit her art classes was what allowed Katie to follow her big dream in 2020, which was opening Roaring Artist Gallery, a virtual art gallery supporting and showcasing women-identifying artists. As a close friend said, I just can't imagine Katie doing anything that doesn't involve some kind of sharing knowledge. Focus now has just shifted from homeschool kids back to emerging women artists. Katie got her artistic start in photography and branding design, following up a business degree with an art degree, and she still enjoys seeing how her past education influences her compositions and thought process today. One thing led to another, and when Katie needed her art to work alongside her most important gig, being a mother, she shifted into brand consultation for other creatives and picked up a paintbrush things she could do at night when her then-toddler was asleep. To her surprise, she fell in love with mixed media and acrylic paint and never looked back. Heading into 2021, Katie's focus remains on growing Roaring Artist Gallery and growing her daughter, Anna Gray, who she still homeschools. In between, she carves out time for her own art exploring her world and her formative years with materials such as mono-printed acetate, pantyhose, and vintage pearls in addition to paint. Thank you so much, Katie. Let's get into the conversation. So I am here with Katie Bradford Osborne, and I'm so excited to hear your story. And I like to just kind of start with some background. So if you could share how you got into art. And I know you're not teaching any longer, but I'm excited to kind of let you tell that story and um, how you went from teaching to now running a gallery. Yes. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. So I was not the child who was like born with a paintbrush in her hand. I actually Mm -hmm. had no idea I was an artist until I was in my early 20s. But I was an artsy kid. There were certainly a few standout artistic moments as I was growing up. And frankly, no one was surprised when I was suddenly like, so I'm an artist now. And they were all like, well, okay, that's not shocking. (laughs) Yeah, so I started in photography. I actually had a business degree. I was working in a high rise in Philadelphia as an Mm. internal auditor in a leasing company which anyone who knows me now is like, how did that happen? Oh, wow. So am I. But I lasted for one year, exactly, because my father always said, you have to work in a job for a year. One year after my hiring date, I quit Mm -hmm. and went back to school. And I went to school for photography originally. I sort of drank in everything, though. It was like this artistic atmosphere is where I want to be. But photography made sense. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. math and 
whatnot in photography. And I think it made sense going from business to photography. So I started out there and then I started doing more as I had my daughter. Yeah. I was nine months pregnant when I graduated from art school and <laughs> I still don't know how I did that. I was like shooting women in rivers and like oh, wow. standing on river rocks <laughs> with this giant belly. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little terrified for myself looking back, but we got through it and we graduated and I had a pretty good business going oh. then, but we moved to Denver and that was when my daughter was two, almost three. And my husband was starting a fellowship. He's a pediatric ICU physician and he was starting his ICU mm -hmm. fellowship and it was working 80, hundred hours a week. And then we had this little girl and it was like, I'm supposed to be with her. Mm. So I tried being a stay at home mom for a year and that was miserable for everyone. So I started doing more things that I could do with her there. And really, once I started getting into painting and mixed media, playing with clay and whatnot, it was like, mm. well, this is where I should be. So that was sort of how I ended up where I am. Oh, I love that. And then how did you end up teaching? Because I know you were teaching art for a while. Yes. So I ended up a surprise homeschooler. We moved yeah. to Houston, Texas. The year my daughter was going to start kindergarten, she lasted for all of a week and a half in public school kindergarten. And it was a horrible experience. I, I know no. it's not for everyone, but this was just a bad experience. And at that point, we're a week and a half into the school year. We can't get into a private school. It's like, mm -hmm. well, what are we going to do? And so we started homeschooling and it was amazing. And we loved it. And we've never looked back. We're oh. on our sixth year of homeschooling now. Wow. But I started meeting all of these children, especially through our co-op. I was consulting on art for our co-op and these kids were just like amazing and they wanted more art in their lives. And I realized if I didn't do it, it wasn't going to happen. So mm -hmm. I started developing curriculum and I started teaching and I found out it was an absolute joy of my life. I feel like I've got far more out of teaching these kids than they probably ever could have gotten out of being taught. But I know that they loved it and I, I do miss it. I miss it a lot. What resources did you seek out to develop curriculum? Was it sort of based on your own schooling or were you looking in books or standards or any of that? I did a little bit of everything. I'm a researcher. I'm a, <laughs> one of those mm. people who I decide I'm going to develop something and it's like 20 intense hours of I'm going to learn everything there is to know about this. And oh, I love it. Um, yeah. So I delved in and I came out realizing I didn't need to completely follow standards as a mm -hmm. homeschool teacher, as doing my own thing in a lot of ways. I started doing a lot of more product-based type art mm -hmm. and really delving into the concepts and the real world mm -hmm. art, how to look at art in the real world and artists and where they got their inspiration from and what were they thinking mm. and going through all of that with these kids and then allowing just like basically saying, okay, here's what we're doing. You do it. And then in a lot of ways, I mean, I would obviously teach them as well with um, techniques and whatnot, but for the most part, it was very much, here's your inspiration. Now let's see what happens. And yeah. oh, it was magical. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it sounds magical. And I also love that you said, if I didn't do it, it wasn't going to happen. And I feel like that's just 
you know, some people would look at that situation and be like, oh, okay, well, I guess we don't have art. Like, <laughs> you know, you're like, no, I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm that person. <laughs> yeah. And to me, just reading like the little bit that I read on your website about your gallery feels in some ways similar to that sort of attitude that like, this is going to happen and I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, I think so. I was doing pop-ups. I did a lot of pop-ups for the mm -hmm. kids. Actually, every semester we would have a big gallery pop-up event type thing that I oh. overdid as much as I overdo everything in my life. <laughs> but it was amazing. It was amazing allowing them to see their work in that kind of setting that says this work is important and this work is worth showing. Yeah. And that was really great. And I loved it for them. And I loved it for the other women that I did pop-ups for along the way. The first yeah. one that I actually did was in, let's see, 2014. So my father passed away at the age of 56, almost 57. Mm. And he would have turned 60 in 2014. And so it was August of that year. And I realized it was coming. He had passed away in August. That's probably what sort of tipped me off. So it's late August. Mm. And I'm thinking, I need to do something for his 60th birthday, which was November 2nd. So I, in another Katie version of just jumping off a cliff that you don't know what's going to be down there, um, <laughs> I decided I was going to have a gallery event. I don't know why <laughs> necessarily I decided that was what needed to happen. He was not an artist. He was a Southern Baptist minister. <laughs> it, was, it made no sense necessarily in that respect, but it made sense in that I needed to do something. Yeah. And that was what I needed to do. So I started a thing called Women of Heart, and that was the name of the gallery event. And I pulled it off. It was amazing. And there was a moment I was standing in the middle of it and I was watching the people around and I can remember the sounds really clearly and the smells and just the, mm. all the surroundings. And it was like, this is important. I don't know exactly how this is important yet, but this is important. And yeah. I think that that was when that dream was sort of born. And then, yeah, it was 2020 and we all know what 2020 looked like in spring of 2020. <sighs> and my friends were losing their gallery shows and, galleries were closing and it was, it was like left and right. And it was, it was exactly that. It was something needs to happen and it needs to happen now. I guess yeah. now's the time. And it started wiggling at me and it was saying, now is the time. And I kept trying to put it off and saying, this doesn't make any sense. I was in the middle of a big unexpected move, which is always oh. great in a pandemic. And oh, <laughs> man, <laughs> um, we moved into the house. And about a week later, I said to my husband, you know, if I don't get started now, I'm not going to be able to open in September. And he's like, you're, you're opening in September. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So I jumped off the cliff again. <laughs> But That's we made amazing. it happen and in September we opened and it was the most amazing show and the most amazing experience of my life. And it was all online. It was it was a very surreal thing and it still kind of is in some ways. Yeah, and I agree that show was just incredible. It was so cool to kind of be able to walk through as well, just the way you've set up the online space to in some ways mimic like a in-person gallery 
And then the work was just amazing. So many incredible female artists. And it's, <laughs> it's powerful to see and to see that sort of as like the debut for the gallery too. Oh, yeah. It was the most humbling experience of my life, for sure. It was, mm -hmm. these people are trusting in me, and this is huge, and I'm not going to let them down. This is going to have to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to have to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it is. Thank you. And before we started recording, I was mentioning that you have sort of like a blog or just some a couple of posts talking about the experience of opening the gallery, but then also like tips for artists and one of the posts was so moving and so simple in so many ways, but maybe it's better if you tell the story that's in there. Oh, yes. So I was actually doing a Zoom studio visit with an artist. We were talking about representation. And out of the corner of my eye, I see my daughter. My daughter's 11 now. That means she mm -hmm. just turned 11. So she was still 10, I guess. And she was just bawling. And I oh. I caught her eye and she just flew at me. And so I sort of, <laughs> I stopped the artist mid-word. <laughs> I was like, yeah. just a moment. And I sort of got off the screen and tried to figure out why she was crying. And it was um, one of those crazy moments. So then my husband walks in and he's like, gesturing at her wildly like get out of mommy's <laughs> meeting what are you doing <laughs> and so she left with him and I went back and in for a minute there I was very much like um oh god I just cut her off mid-sentence like this is not professional this is bad <laughs> mm -hmm. but there wasn't really another option there so I go back and she said I just need to tell you that was magic. That's just not something. If my daughter had come in and I was talking to the average male gallerist, I would have had to send her away or feel like I was going to miss out because that's not something that you can do. But you just did it. You just stopped a meeting to comfort your crying child. And that's magic. And um, the way she put it, you know what? I couldn't agree more. <laughs> that's the kind of community that I'm trying to build. That's the kind of art world that I'm trying to build with what I'm doing. And I know with what a lot of other people in the art world are doing as well at this moment. And I feel like we're at a point where things are changing a lot. Things are going virtual mm -hmm. and the art world needs to change, but it doesn't need to be that women artists and mother artists need to change ourselves in order to get into it. I think that we've reached a point where it's very obvious that what we have to say is important mm -hmm. and the things that inspire us, our children, our lives, this is our art, our fiber art and quilting and collage and these things that have in a lot of ways been mislabeled as women's work, but not art, you know, those things are important. And there's a lot that we have to say with those things. And it's, it's just time for the art world to make space for us and to make space for that. And I think that story was just a really good example of exactly the kind of art world that I hope that we're creating. Yes. And I love there was a part in there where you were talking about sort of this misconception that artist mothers, because we have, you know, children pulling at us and all of these responsibilities outside of being an artist, that somehow that means we lack dedication and, you know, I would even extend that to teaching artists that we're just because we're teaching young children that somehow we're not dedicated to our craft and to our, our artwork, that side of our career. 
Absolutely. And yeah. yeah, just like completely like dispelling that misconception and saying, no, like we, we are even more dedicated because we have all these other responsibilities and we're still somehow like making exactly. it work. Yes. What kind oh. of a passion does it take to be like, yeah. all of these things are happening and those things are priorities and those things are so important. Raising our children, I mean, mm-hmm. and teaching in a way, I mean, you're touching these children's lives in a way that, especially I think in the sort, I mean, I, I feel like in my homeschool classes, I was able to do it too, but yeah, it's, these children, a lot of them don't necessarily have this sort of thing at home. And some of them are going to grow up to be artists and they're going to look back and they're going to say, this changed my life. So it's not oh. like we don't have these big things that are happening and pressing on us with what we're doing, but what kind of a passion does it take to say, but you know what? I've got something important to say anyway, and I am going to say mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and I'm going to do it. And yes. That's what we're doing. I have never met a passionate artist like artist mother or an, another artist who had these other priorities in their lives. And we're still pushing forward and still doing these amazing things. Yeah, completely agree. And I'm curious sort of more about maybe some of the nitty gritty and if you would have tips that you could give maybe other curators and then maybe later we'll get into tips for artists from like a gallerist perspective. But if you're speaking to other sort of maybe artists or teachers who want to become more of a curator, like what tips would you have there? I think my biggest tip would be to not wait for things to fall into your lap. I think Mm. um, this is one of those cases where you have to make your own opportunities in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that was what I've, I've done a lot of. And, you know, for a long time, I very much, I didn't give myself credit. I think it wasn't until Mm -hmm. I was talking to another artist and she was like, what is wrong with you? This is, (laughs) you're doing big things here and you're not giving yourself any credit because you're the one who's doing it. But I think that the best way to get into curation is to just curate, do something, start networking. (laughs) Yeah. But curation is probably 50% doing a lot of studying, doing a lot of learning, doing a lot of understanding how to look at art. And then mm-hmm. 50% what feels right because mm-hmm. you're looking at things on an individual level, but you're also having to look at things as a whole. So mm-hmm. as I'm approaching artists, especially whenever I'm thinking about what artists to represent and things like that, which we had just fairly recently had an open call. So I'm still talking to artists about that sort of thing recently. And there's such a big part of me that just wants to be like, yes, I want everyone. I love everyone. (laughs) And I want to encourage everyone in their art because I do. I always say I care so much about these artists and I care about their art. And that is absolutely true. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, nobody's growing if all I'm doing is just saying yes to everything including myself. And I think that saying no is the hardest thing. (laughs) Yeah. And saying it in a way that people realize that it meant something to you that they sent in their work and that they put themselves out there. And here's why this isn't going to work. And the people, I Mm -hmm. mean, there have still been a couple of artists too. Most artists have been very gracious and have said that they understood what I was saying. There've actually been a couple who were like, well, I think you're not looking at my art. Like, and I was like, mm. well, <laughs> but yeah. um, it's so much more than just choosing pieces for a show, obviously. But 
I think a lot of it is instinct. And then there's a good mm-hmm. bit of it that you have to really put it out there. I do know that the artist mother group, I think Kaylin is going to be planning to do something having to do with curation starting in, I think, January, maybe. Yeah. Oh, I think through um, Stay Home Gallery, yes, they're, they're yes. doing like a curation fellowship. Yes, that's, that's, curators. that's what it was. Yeah. I don't know what that's going to be about or what they're planning to do exactly there. But if anybody can do something amazing with that, it's Kaylin. And I think that would definitely, if someone is interested in curating, that is something to really look into. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'll make a note to link to that. I saw them put that out there. And of course, I was like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> I'm like, slow down. <laughs> like, <laughs> how many different things can you do at the same time? <laughs> like, maybe you have to pick and choose sometimes. <laughs> I kind of wanted to, too. I am such a, oh. I become such like a, oh, this is happening. I want to be a part of that. It's like, right. calm down. <laughs> this is something you're already doing. You need to calm down. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, though. It's hard sometimes to pick and choose when there are so many amazing things happening. Yes, it really is. But I will say I've joined the crit group groups every time that they've been available so far. And that has been a magical experience for me. I wasn't planning on joining it this fall. And I'm so glad I did because ultimately, I really did it to keep myself working on my own art. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, I cannot say it's not a big job opening and running a gallery and yeah but it's my art was still very important to me and very necessary Mm -hmm. to me and so in order to keep myself moving in that direction I decided I was going to join the crit group and it's been just magical it's been wonderful I feel like I've met lifelong friends again and I think there's definitely a time to join things and then um, probably there's a time to calm down (laughs) yeah (laughs) And it's good to pick and choose. I am so glad as well that I joined the crit group this fall. And I feel like it's helped me so much in so many different ways. Yes, it's a wonderful program. Well, I would love to get into your work. But I first I said I would ask you for tips for artists. So from sort of a gallerist perspective, a curator's perspective, what would be your biggest kind of tips you would give artists? So basically, I think... It's going to be different if we're talking about applying to a show or applying for Mm -hmm. representation. In applying Mm -hmm. for representation, I think one of the main things that I'm looking for is series of work that is cohesive. It has a thought. There's Mm -hmm. something that this artist is trying to say, and they're saying it clear enough that I can get it. And Mm -hmm. they're moving in a direction that I can see and I can get excited about. And Mm -hmm a fully formed idea that's being executed across the body of work in a lot of ways. That's what I'm looking for. And then there's a part of it that I'm looking for people that I want to work with and that I feel like I can work with and um, that they'll be very open to and also excited about the mission of our gallery, because for my particular gallery, that's a big Mm -hmm. deal. That's not true of every gallery, obviously, but for ours it is. And when it comes to shows, I did an Instagram live on this and I probably did a better job than I'm about to do. <laughs> so I can, I can that. also point there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good resource for this. But I think definitely do a lot of very careful reading on the brief of what the show mm-hmm. is about. 
make sure that what you are sending in and what you have to say is very much in line with what the show's about. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can do that thing that we did back in college and like BS this to a certain extent, but <laughs> ultimately um, the curator is going to know they're going to have a vision and they're going to know what they're looking for. And whoever mm-hmm. the curator is, do some studying on that person, mm-hmm. connect with them on Instagram, you know, start to figure out what they're looking for. Because if you've got a curator who all they want is abstract art and you have super photorealism, then you're just not going to be within their vision. It might be that they love your work, but if your work is not within their vision of what this show is going to be, because they're, Mm -hmm. like I said, having to look at things on an individual level as well as a whole, then um, they're going to have to say no. Online virtual art too, which is going to be more and more of a thing, I think, moving forward. Also, we have to say no if we can't get a good image of the artwork. And so that's definitely a problem that pops up with artists a lot. I did a whole blog post on photographing your artwork for that reason, because I've got so many... I can do a lot. I have a lot of skills in Photoshop, obviously, from starting out in photography, And I can do a lot, but I'm not, I can't like magically produce (laughs) something that's not there (laughs) as far as getting these images of artwork. And there have been a few that I've come across my computer screen and it's been like, oh, I know this is great, but I just, I can't display that virtually. There's no way to. And if I couldn't get, and I don't always have time, you know, if it shows up on the very last day of that um, things are due, then I don't have time to go back to the artist and say, can I get a better image of this? So, which I will do sometimes, but you know what? Not every curator is going to do that either. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody's going to have the time or take the time. Exactly. And we're busy. It's, we are. Mm -hmm. And it's, we, we really don't have the time to go back to every artist and say, these are issues that are here. So that's another problem. Generally, these briefs online are going to be very specific about how Mm -hmm. they want the artwork to be sent to them, what they want it to be named, the size that they want it to be, the quality that they want it to be. And if you don't send that to them, then you're going to get an auto no because of that. Mm -hmm. And that's always sad. It just is. Yeah. But I feel like that is the, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's, just follow all of the instructions the same way, you know, as a teacher, you would want your students to do. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I'm, I'm just a person who hates to say no for these kinds of reasons whenever I know that it's amazing. But sometimes I've had to already. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is what it is. So that's another big tip for sure that I would give artists. Yeah. And where I'm kind of dabbling into curation a little bit with our, we have like winter call that's up right now in collaboration with Curated for Kids. That's so exciting. Yeah. So we're testing it out where we had one show that was invitational with artists we already knew. And so this is the first sort of open call, but seeing work come through and sometimes it is, you know, they're answering a question that we ask for like 300 words and they give me three pages. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, Wait, what, how do I, I don't have time to edit this. Or, you know, like having technical issues with the website. In that case, I'm like, oh man, I don't know if that's on my end, but it seems like everybody else is okay. 
So then I'm, you know, trying to take the time to, to fix things and help people through it. But yeah, like you said, not every curator would be able to do that. And uh, there's just a lot that goes into it, I guess. There it is. And it's, um, I mean, we just had an open call yesterday and Mm -hmm. the submissions doubled yesterday. Uh, (laughs) Crazy. Oh. Artists are so funny in there. <laughs> I mean, I, I was one of those, and <laughs> I'm always, <laughs> I'm always one of those. I'm always like, okay, today is the last day. This is when I will submit. <laughs> so true. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I expected we we had talked. I expected that yours would be coming in, and so it, I I kind of knew, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> But that's one of those cases too. I just had half the show sent to me yesterday. Nobody uh, who sent me anything yesterday can I go back to them and be like, "This needs to be mm, fixed." It's it's right. just kind of going to have to be no at that point. Uh, so it never hurts to send things in a little early. Yeah. Okay. Making a note for myself, and <laughs> that's a great tip for artists because um, I never thought about that. I always assumed you know, no matter when I submit, if I mess up, like if I don't follow the directions, it's going to be a no. Like I never sort of have an assumption that they'll like write me back and be like, oh, hey, you need to fix this and this. So knowing yeah, that, you know, some people will do that yeah. is it's helpful. Probably, you're probably not wrong for most. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak for everybody as far as I Right. Is. But um, I just know me and I would love to be able to help if I can. Mm-hmm. But I can't always. Yeah. And then the other thing I I just wanted to share a story I heard from another curator recently who basically said that a lot of times actually a no is not like no I don't like your work and you know you got into this a bit that it might be just it's not right for this show um but she even talked about like the idea that she might see an artist applying for a group show and see that this artist is actually making incredible work and has like a large body of work. And I have a vision of a solo show I can offer them in a little while. So I'm going to say no to this little group show with that in mind and then like get back with them when I have that secured but she told this story that she had done that. And then the artist got really upset and like sent her an angry email when she got the rejection for the group show, which then kind of destroyed that other opportunity that of course the artist didn't know about yet, but it made me think just as an artist, like if you get a rejection, you don't write to the curator and like, you know, angrily write back because you don't know what else is going on there you know. Right. And also we're human beings. It's, yeah, it is hard to send those rejection letters. And I try to do it in as kind of a way as I possibly can. I mean, this show is maybe harder than the others because it's a little different what we're doing with this particular exhibition. It's sort of like an exhibition market type Mm -hmm. thing here with the holidays coming up. So I'm doing it myself because it's a little different. And Oh, I'm definitely not going to be doing this very much. Because <laughs> it was a lot easier whenever I was sending things. And Danae Keitzer, my curator for the Harris Roar show, our first show. I mean, she was telling me who I was going to be denying and who I was mm-hmm. going to be accepting for that one. And um, 
now I have to do it myself. <laughs> I can't mm. advise her. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not something we want to do. We don't want to reject people. It's a part of the job because I know I'm an artist and I've had my own share of rejection letters also. Yeah. And sometimes you don't get anything back. You just get right. nothing. And right. that's kind of more annoying than anything. But I think mm-hmm. when we're sending those, I mean, we don't want to, but it's a part of our job and mm-hmm. we can't always say yes for a myriad of reasons. I mean, there could be so many different reasons beyond just, I don't like your work. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I would say it's rarely just, I don't like your work. It could be, I love your work, but why did you send me those pieces? Like <laughs> those, those pieces, they, they don't fit the brief at all. Whereas uh, I know you have other work that does, but it's, it's, tough because I can't really send individual letters to absolutely everybody and be like, if you had done this and this and this, I might be able to say yes. And that seems kind of obnoxious anyway. But um, (laughs) I would actually kind of love that. (laughs) I'm like, give me all the feedback. (laughs) You are like that. And there are artists who are like that. And there have been artists who have written me back and asked for more feedback. And when I can, I'll give it to them. I, I can't always whenever I'm right there in the middle of I'm curating yeah. the show, obviously, yeah. but not everybody really wants it. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people really just want to be told yes. And that's not the reality in the art world, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel like we need to, if we haven't yet, develop that sort of thick skin around critique of your work. And, you know, it's hard because it's so personal and, you know, you put so much of yourself and your passion into it, but being able to kind of separate like, when someone says no to my art, they're not saying no to me as a person. <laughs> like, yes. And they're often not even saying, no, your art is like no good. <laughs> it's more just, well, it doesn't fit right here, right now. Yes, exactly. And that, you know what? I think that that's what it is almost most of the time. Yeah. And there are certainly artists who have applied with me and I just felt like their artwork was not strong enough yet. Mm -hmm. Generally, though, I try to say it's not strong enough yet Mm -hmm. because that artist, I hope that they continue to grow and they continue to develop their voice. And I hope I see them again a year down the road. Yeah. And that they're doing the amazing things that I know they're capable of. Yes. Because I, I just don't believe that people who choose to be artists, like if you have that kind of a drive and you're choosing to be an artist and to take on that, because it is not easy. Mm-mm. It is not an easy way to live our lives. And it's, there's something in you and I know there is, and I want you to find it. I love that. I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire, encourage, and entertain you. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram 
It makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can, and that is Pots Art, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. Could you maybe describe your work for somebody who hasn't seen it? I, I have <laughs> the to hard question. Mixed media um, <laughs> that mm-hmm. covers a lot. I've done a lot of different things with mm-hmm. mixed media and acrylic on canvas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I had a solo show in 2019, and that's primarily what I was doing for that. Mm-hmm. And then I've done some shifting to playing with these sculptural possibilities of fabric. And I'm Ooh. still sort of doing that. My most recent thing has been pantyhose and pearls, which is Ooh. me thinking about and really delving into my upbringing in a very evangelical type society and in the Bible Belt of I grew up in the Florida Panhandle right below Alabama and it's securely in the Bible Belt and it's very much there's a lot of things that I want to keep from that Mm -hmm. upbringing and then there are things that don't necessarily make sense to me anymore yeah and so I call it grappling because I feel like that's really what it is grappling with what do we keep Mm -hmm. and what do we giveaway. And pantyhose are one of those things. It's one of the first things that little girls are told, you need to cover your legs in order to go to church. And it's Ugh. okay, but you're covering it with something see-through. So there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I've talked to a lot of Southern girls since I started this and we all have the same sort of thing with pantyhose. And it's, it's been very interesting to delve into that. So pantyhose and pearls has been my most recent thing and tearing up pantyhose. And actually I've, I've been burning them with a and Ooh. sort of because they'll sort of crinkle up on the edges and get really interesting and smell yeah. really terrible. Oh. And, <laughs> it's a multi-sensory experience with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But um, yeah, so I, I've been doing a lot of different things. I was playing with monoprinting acetate and mm. maps. I called that Windows. And I'll probably revisit that too, actually. That was sort of what I was doing during quarantine back in the spring and early summer just trying to work through how it felt to, I was one of the first people that I knew with my husband being in the medical field. And I was one of the first people that I I was the first person I know who was in quarantine. We started March 1st. So the world was still sort of happening outside the window at that point. And I was very much stuck and sort of trying to grapple with that. So I still have that series that I'm playing with a little bit. And then this other pantyhose and pearls grappling thing that I'm doing. So yeah, a lot of different mixed medias right now, but I can't seem to stick to one thing. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that's so common now too, that artists are working across so many different materials and media and letting ideas guide us. And that always feels so powerful when the material is really connected, deeply connected to the idea and what you're saying. So the pantyhose and pearls work sounds incredible. I'm going to have to go look at it. I finally, at the urging of my crit group, (laughs) redid my website and actually put my art on it. Yay! (laughs) So I have my own personal website also, and it exists and it has it on there now. Yeah, you have to take your own gallerist advice. 
that is the hardest thing to do or that's been and finding out how much I don't take my own advice (laughs) very interesting with this last record and as soon as I heard pantyhose it made me think of and I you might recognize this idea those nylon sculptures like pantyhose sculptures over wire that so many art teachers do and I've that once that was yeah I've done it And the kids just love how like the material is transformed and it looks so heavy, but it's, you know, really light. Yes. Actually, I have one that I had made as a example piece whenever I was doing that particular project. And yeah. I actually pulled it out and said it whenever I was trying to figure out what in the world I was doing with these pantyhose that I put on <laughs> Amazon because why? And I, um, <laughs> when I was trying to figure out what I was doing with that, I actually pulled that, that piece out and set it on the desk. It was just sort of staring at it for a while. That's not what I'm actually doing with it. But yeah, that was there. <laughs> it yes. It in this thought process. Yeah, because that I mean, I feel like that's probably what as soon as you said pantyhose, probably all the art teachers listening were like, oh, yeah, those sculptures. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love those sculptures, though. (laughs) Yeah, they are so much fun. I just did pull up your work and I will share this, like I'll share your work and link to everything so other people can look while they're listening or after they're listening. But I love it looks like it's a little bit sculptural, but more sort of flat, which is really interesting to me. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I keep going back and forth. Like for a while I was doing a series that's on the website too. And the vortex series, which was, Mm -hmm. it was jumping off of the canvas more and more. And then suddenly I'm back on it. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I go back and forth over whether or not I'm going to pull it off the canvas. And at some point I probably will. But um, I, I am a huge fan of installation art, and mm-hmm. but I like to work small. And those things together, it's kind of odd together, but I think I'll con- be continuing to challenge myself in that direction too, getting things off the wall and deciding what actually belongs on the wall. <laughs> yeah, or even maybe working small means like an accumulation of small things. Mm-hmm. And it very well probably does. That's yeah. that's sort of how I live my life anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that feels so true as, you know, juggling all the things that every every big thing happens in that accumulation of small things. Yes. And looking at this, another artist I feel like you might be interested in is Carly Trosclair, who's from New Orleans and does she used to work with fabric, but now works with mostly I think it's vinyl. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just throwing a name out there. <laughs> I want to look her up afterwards. I don't yeah. recognize that name. Of course, I'm terrible with names. It might be I know her art and I don't know her name. But... You might. She's doing pretty well. I, I actually went to grad school with her, so that's how I know her. <laughs> but, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but she's she got the Joan Mitchell like residency or fellowship. So yeah, she's done some amazing things. Oh, that's very cool. I'll have to look her yeah. up and then be like, okay, I do know who that is. And you need to get better <laughs> at learning names. <laughs> oh, but, you know, there's so many incredible artists to that know. That is so true. And it's, it's amazingly wonderful, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious with your own work. Like, to me, it feels like as a gallerist, a curator, and an artist, do those worlds ever align? Like, do you ever <laughs> curate yourself into a show? Or is there I, sort of like a hard line there? 
I don't curate myself into shows for the gallery. It's just, it, it's not made sense to me to do it. I mean, maybe there would be a point in which my art belongs in the gallery, but maybe not. Yeah. I feel like my art in a lot of ways is not gallery art. In a, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not explaining mm. that very well, but I mean, I did curate my own show. I had an opportunity thrown at me to have a show. She basically told me, I want you to have a show in my space and go for it. Uh, (laughs) I did do that. That was my 2019 connection show. And I might be borrowing a little bit from that for a future show that I sort of have in mind with that connections type theme. But that was, that was definitely a different kind of experience curating myself. And that was, in some ways that was harder than anything else that I've had to do because mm-hmm. you get to this point whenever you're sitting with all of your artwork and suddenly everything is terrible and you're uh. horrible at this. <laughs> you're like, why am I an artist? Uh. And then you calm down and be like, well, I mean, this is what it is and it's going to happen now. So even if it sucks, this is what it is. And <laughs> it doesn't, obviously it never does. Uh. But that was hard all the emotional ups and downs that came with that. So that might be part of the reason why I'm not curating myself into things with the gallery. But also I kind of like having that, that separation. I really, really like working with other people's art and it's, I find it in some ways just as rewarding and just in a different way as I do with my own art, which is good. Otherwise I probably shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So long way of saying Probably not. I mean, who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like there's like the idea of imposter syndrome is in there. Oh, yeah. Like uh, just feeling like, oh, I don't know if my work is like, what is all all of this? What have I made? And how do I put it all together? Uh, Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think and I, I think it's a good thing that I'm an artist because I can sympathize with that. And especially as women, we all deal with that in some very, very strong ways. And Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, that's probably one of those things that makes it hard too, whenever you get rejection and it's, it's makes it harder. (laughs) Yeah. It almost feels like they're uh, like affirming that imposter syndrome, those like doubts that you have about yourself. Yes, very much. And I think that that's probably what makes people so upset. And it's good to take a step back and realize that that's not true. Yeah. But even knowing that, even being on that side, I still have a hard time with it too. So I, <laughs> I can't say anything. Uh, yeah. It's just a, one of those hard things about this career that we've chosen. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm curious with your work, and it seems like maybe the idea comes first, but I guess maybe if you could talk about your process a little bit more, do you kind of percolate an idea for a while or is it our materials like that jump out and kind of speak to you and then the idea comes from those materials? I think it's a little bit of both. I think Mm -hmm. that there are certain themes in my life that I'm constantly thinking about. Mm -hmm. I'm a, like I said, I'm a thinker, researcher type person. And I spend a lot of time thinking and thinking about my childhood and how it's different from my daughter's Mm -hmm. childhood, vastly different from my daughter's childhood. Mm -hmm. And I think about, like I said before, the grappling with what do you keep and what do you leave behind? So all of these things I think are things that are just sort of rolling around in my head just because my head doesn't ever stop rolling around. (laughs) And 
eventually materials pop out at me. And sometimes I get materials and I have no earthly idea what I'm going to do with those. I sort of have an idea of what they go with, which is very much what happened with the pantyhose. Yeah. I, or I suddenly decide I need to order pantyhose on Amazon. I get the pantyhose. <laughs> I sit with them on my, on my desk in my studio for a week going, what, what am I doing with this? <laughs> And then eventually I feel like the materials start telling me what they want to say because mm-hmm. it's in there somewhere. If that, by the time I get to that point, I know there's something happening and it might take me a year to figure it out, but there's something happening. And so I just listen to the materials and eventually once they start telling me what they want to be, I think I start working with it. And it's very much an intuitive type process for me. And then do you feel like you, like if you have to present it or write about it, does that kind of come after? Yes, definitely. I feel like in a lot of ways, what I do, I've always had a hard time with like taking process shots and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I've been encouraged to do that sort of thing. But the thing is, whenever I'm in the studio during that, it feels like a very sacred type time. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's when in without sounding completely crazy. It's, it's like the materials are talking to me and that's my time for communing with the muses as it is. Mm, and yeah. what comes afterwards, and I step back and I look at it, I feel like at that point, in a lot of ways, I'm able to understand what I just did. And so yeah, the writing about it and the understanding it in a lot of ways, I feel like comes afterwards. I feel the same way in, in a lot of ways. And I feel like it's taken a long time to figure that out that like I wasn't going to be able to write everything and know everything before I finished making, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have never completely been able to wrap my head around that part of the process. Like it's for someone who is so very cerebral as I can be working <laughs> so intuitively is, I mean, it's probably a really good thing for me actually, but it's, mm. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a balance. It is. It very much is. That's in a lot of ways, my art and my art practice is balance where I can really just step into that emotional side and Mm. really live there. I mean, I'm, I am an emotional person and I completely accept all of these different bits and pieces of who I am. But at the same time, sometimes it's very difficult with working with business and things like that. Then whenever I'm in the studio, it's different. It's, it's very much intuitive. It's very much listening. It's very much moving along with the materials and some kind of interesting flow. And I don't work in the studio every day. I work in spurts and Mm -hmm. it's, that's just what it feels like in some ways. And I wanted to ask too, when and sort of how the shift from photography happened? That was very much in response to having a Mm -hmm. (laughs) three-year-old. And I couldn't seem to make anything happen, which is funny. I actually started a professional organization for photographers when I was in Denver, a big one. And it's still going. It's called the Denver Photo Buddies. It still exists. And amazing. It's, it was such, it was such a cool organization. And I think I've sort of figured out whenever I was able to build this big professional organization, but I couldn't seem to manage to build, rebuild my photography career. I wasn't going to manage to do anything (laughs) that couldn't happen when my daughter was sleeping. So (laughs) yeah, I really started doing more. I actually started a jewelry line first. I was using Uh my photography. I was printing it onto acid-free tissue paper. 
Ooh. And I was playing with that and clay and making jewelry out of it Ooh. and painting and everything else that went with that. But at some point I realized that the painting part of that was my favorite part. And so mm-hmm. then I just started painting more. Yeah. So we were, we were very much at a point then it was, it was exploratory. What can I actually do right now? <laughs> because right. I have to do something, <laughs> but just building a professional organization whenever I can't manage to build my own business is it's not going to, that's not going to completely fly. So I still had to do something. Mm. And I, I think in some ways I really appreciate this looking back on it. I really appreciate the way things happened at the time. It seemed like a roadblock. And now Mm. it seems like it was pointing me in the direction of the opportunities that led me to where I am now. And so I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah. And I feel like that is just a great way to think about it. And, you know, thinking back, it's maybe easier, but I feel like it would be helpful, at least for me to think anytime I I come across a roadblock to think, okay, let's shift that sort of mindset and realize that maybe it's just like, it's not blocking me, it's shifting me to this new direction. And like, where's that going to take me? What's going to happen? And it's exciting when you think about life that way. I yeah. I think that's that's become very much the way that I think about life. It's like doors mm-hmm. and windows. This is wow. not a door that I can open. Here's a window. <laughs> and <it's, laughs> I'll climb out of it and jump off the roof. You know, it's uh, yes. I can't say it's completely sane all the time, but it's <laughs> the way I live my life now and I kinda like it. <laughs> yeah. And then you as you're falling, you realize, oh, I have wings. Yes. And now, and now I'm soaring. <laughs> yes, exactly. And everyone's like, "Where'd you get those wings?" And you're like, "Well, maybe you should jump off a roof too. You probably also have them." <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, <laughs> I wanted to just offer some fun wrapping up, get to know you questions. So, one that's really broad that I like: What are you curious about right now? Oh my gosh, what am I not curious about? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So one of my bigger quirks is that whenever I was growing up, one of the main things I wanted to be was a archaeologist or a paleontologist. I have an obsession with ancient Egypt and with dinosaurs and fossils and whatnot. And I I actually own one of my favorite pieces of art is actually an amulet from ancient Egypt and tons of dinosaur bones. I have a a triceratops vertebrae that I'm particularly in love with. Wow. So I'm perpetually curious about that. I think I probably watch more documentaries about dinosaurs and ancient Egypt than any other human who is not an Egyptologist or a paleontologist. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, that's what I'm always curious about. (laughs) That's an easy one to say. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. I love hearing those things too. Like it just gives you that other sort of side of somebody. So really interesting. So many quirks. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. Another just like fun one. What is your go-to meal? Mm, Let's see. Like my favorite thing or the thing that I eat all the time because it's really easy to make it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good distinction. Um, Maybe both. (laughs) Probably. Let's see. My favorite food is Indian food. Mm. I absolutely love Indian food and sushi. I also love sushi a lot, Mm. but I don't really make either one of those particularly well. (laughs) Yeah. 
I would say I eat a lot more like pasta and stuff that's kind of a little easier to to cook. I I feel the same way. <laughs> I'm like I love all these things that I can't make and <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Is there anybody that you would like to thank or give a shout out to? Oh my goodness. I actually just made an Instagram post about this the other day. It's, I feel like there are so many people in my life that this would not be my life if it weren't for mm. them. So um, I think the communities that I'm in, actually one year ago today, I was coming pretty close to landing after going to the first Artist's Mother Retreat. Uh, and that was a life-changing yes. experience. And that community that Kaylin has built has been such a huge blessing to me, I can't even say. And I feel the same way, too, about the Thrive community. I was in a Thrive Mastermind mm. group for a couple of years, and I feel the same way about them. And then, I i mean, there's my life community also, my homeschool community. Mm-hmm. And I have some of my best friends here in Houston who get to be the ones who are on that text where I write them and send them pictures of my art and say, Does, is this terrible? Because I think this might be terrible. <laughs> and they're like, no, it was not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice because they have, they have real opinions and they often have really good things to say. And I appreciate them. And my husband and my daughter who get the brunt of my suddenly needing to work for 20 hours straight on <laughs> whatever it is I'm doing type right. situation and my harebrained ideas. And <laughs> they've always supported me and they always do. And they are huge blessings in my life. So that's a long answer to that question. But I just really appreciate the people who have been in my life. Yeah, life does not happen in a vacuum. And it's, it's very much mm. my art career from top to bottom. I've been thankful for the communities that I have surrounding me. Yeah, there are just so many people. So yeah, I love that answer. Last thing, where can our listeners connect with you online? So my personal website, which I know you'll put in the notes, is Mm katiebradfordosborne.art. And Katie is K-T-I-E, Bradford, B-R-A-D-F-O-R-D. Osborne is O-S-B-O-R-N-E dot art. Mm -hmm. And the gallery is RoaringArtistGallery.com. And on Instagram, at RoaringArtistGallery. That's the best way to get all the news and updates and whatnot on the gallery. Yes, amazing. Thank you so much, Katie. I feel like there was just so much wisdom in there. And you shared so many wonderful tips and encouragement for artists. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you so much. This was absolutely wonderful. I love this. (laughs) Yay, me too. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.